The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Save our wildlife, save the environment, save our world. It all starts with a little knowledge. Welcome to Our Wild World with L.A. Weiss. There is so much that's being done and can be done with help from specialists and marginalized community groups to you. We'll discuss the future of Africa, the wildlife, and the people, and show you how it affects the entire planet. Now, here is Ellie Weiss from the Wild Eyes Foundation. Good morning, and this is Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. This past week, as you know, I was at the conference held by the Performing Animal Welfare Society, PAWS, out in California. And I met some amazing people and panel speakers. One of those speakers is Scott Blaze. Scott has worked with and for captive elephants for over 25 years and was co-founder of the Elephant Sanctuary in Tennessee. He then moved to spearhead the development of South America's first elephant natural habitat sanctuary, Elephant Sanctuary Brazil. At age 15, he was an elephant trainer, but quickly realized elephants were in fact teaching him to be their voice. From that point, he became an advocate to effect change in legislation for how elephants are treated in captivity, from rescue to transport and the specialized care and needs of both African and Asian elephants. Scott his wife Kat, and their expert team currently reside in Brazil, and now has created the newly formed Global Sanctuary for Elephants in Brazil, whose chief mission is developing and supporting elephant sanctuaries internationally. You can learn more at www.globalelephants.org. Now, it is my pleasure to have Scott with us today. Listen carefully as you are about to be educated about the crisis of elephants in captivity. Welcome, Scott. Thank you. I am actually quite humbled by that introduction. I really appreciate this opportunity to, to speak with you today. Well, your presentation moved me, it educated me, and opened my eyes. I have never been a fan of zoos, so typically I have just sort of left that off to the side as I work on the wild side with wild free-ranging elephants and all the issues that are involved with that today. So as I said, you opened my eyes. Your presentation was fabulous. So why don't we start a little bit about your background and why you came to start Global Sanctuary for Elephants. Certainly. Um, yeah, I started working with elephants, as you said, when I was 15 years old. And I learned a lot about what shouldn't be done with elephants, uh, the brutal truth and reality of what elephants endure in captivity. And as a result, that turned into the development of the Elephant Sanctuary in Tennessee in 1995. And as a direct result of everything we learned there and the profound recovery, uh, an immense uh, uh, 
how elephants can just thrive once you give them their life back. Uh, we have now taken this to a global level, recognizing that there's a monumental shift happening around the world as increased awareness and knowledge of what elephants endure uh, is inspiring new legislation to protect elephants and prevent them from uh, performing in circuses and being used in entertainment. There are a lot of zoos that are starting to close their doors to elephant programs, and it leaves the fundamental question of where are they going to go. Uh, that was a fabulous recap, So, um, which was a great introduction. So now we're going to back up a little and get into some of the details. Um, you've mentioned a couple of times the abhorrent conditions elephants face in captivity. I think our listeners and our audience really need to understand um, maybe first off what we can do is provide a difference in definition between zoo and sanctuary because I think a lot of people think the zoo is sanctuary and what I learned is it's not and then get into some of these um, issues this this treatment that elephants in captivity face certainly you know what let me take one half step back on that and say part of the reason why we are here promoting um, and, and developing new sanctuaries is is fundamentally because of what we experience uh, in, kept in, in sanctuary. And what we realize is that you can't even compare sanctuaries and zoos. It's not fair to the zoos. So uh, tell us how. Because in zoos, elephants live in a very sterile environment. Uh, no matter how hard they try, it's still a sterile environment. It's still isolated. It's still small. It's confined. It's monotonous. Um, zookeepers try their best to provide different toys, uh, but that isn't enough for an animal that is as socially and emotionally and intellectually complex as elephants are. And we need to remember that elephants evolved over eons to be continental landscape shifting architects. So when you say kept in isolation and often a single elephant, um, we can begin to understand just how difficult a life this must be for an elephant. So tell us a little bit of what we've learned about the emotional and social complexity of elephants. I know it's gaining wide acceptance and knowledge globally, but here I have you who's worked with them so closely. Tell us a little bit about what you've learned. Within a sanctuary environment, what we learned, uh, when we started the sanctuary, we thought we understood elephants. We thought we knew a little bit about who they are, actually a lot about who they are. And what we realized is once they started recovering and, and evolving, we were only seeing a fraction of who they really are in those captive scenarios. And what we realized is that emotional complexity is so much greater. Um, it's profound. It's, they have a depth of understanding, of knowing, of knowledge, of, of compassion and empathy. Uh, and these are elephants that in many times have been isolated for 40 of 47 or 48 years in captivity, they've spent those times, their time alone. And they come to sanctuary, and they just almost immediately, and it depends, it varies depending on the individual. Some have a harder time adapting than others, but almost immediately they just become, they start becoming an elephant. And they go through this transformative process of, of rediscovery of sorts of who they really are as an individual and as an elephant. And when you see that unfold, when you see that, again, the depth of understanding and passion that they have for one another, uh, for themselves, for humans, it just it, it causes us all to step back and realize 
the injustice that we've done by keeping them in these, in these sterile environments. So that brings me to a question. I was educated, as I said, at PAWS. There are a lot of elephants in captivity, Asian and African. So um, I believe they'd given us a number of how many elephants are in captivity and moved around. Um, I think you told me 400 elephants in captivity. What are some of the consequences in terms of what you've just said in learning elephants as individuals, where the zoo may see them more as an exhibit to be curated and not necessarily enriching their lives. What are some of the consequences of constantly shifting elephants from place to place and getting them into new environments where they may not stay? Well, internationally, there are more than 6,000 elephants in captivity. A lot of those are in Southeast Asia. There's a few hundred that are in captivity in in Europe, there's a few hundred in captivity in North America, there's over 50 elephants in captivity in South America, and even more still in, in Central America. So the, this is a global issue with captive elephants. Here in North America, uh, I honestly don't know the exact number anymore. Uh, unfortunately, we're getting to this uh, precipice where elephants are dying quite rapidly, uh, prematurely, because of the effects of captivity. Um, we can go in that into to more detail. Well, let's go into it right now. Um, okay. Elephants are a long-lived species, uh, as I know, 65 to 70 years. So when you say prematurely, typically the line that we're fed is that zoo animals live longer and better lives. You've just told us otherwise. Uh, expound on that a little, please. Yeah, there's a facade. There's a, a there's just a lot of manipulation. Uh, zoos have professed themselves as the experts, and the public believes it, that they are the experts. And I feel that they are. They're experts in captivity. their limited world. <laughs> you know, it, they're experts in keeping expert. something captive. Absolutely. That's not an expert in the species. And when you speak to an expert in the species that has studied that species and the nature of that species in the wild, you hear vastly different analysis of who they are. Uh, and in captivity, um, zoos have, have done a very good job at leading the public to believe that their elephants have died at old age at 40 or of natural causes at 40, 45 years old. And that's, in many cases, 20 years premature. And you start, it, one thing that really punctuated this for us is premature death is recently there was a law passed in India that temple elephants had to be retired at 60. Huh. And the temple elephants don't live any better life than zoo elephants do. They have, uh, they're just as confined, they are beaten, they have to submit to having people around them all the time for these, at these temples. Uh, they walk for miles and miles and miles and miles on pavement. Um, and we're trying to figure out what the difference is between these two scenarios where temple elephants, in, as brutal as that is, living and having be, to be forced retired at 60, and captive zoo elephants in North America that in many cases aren't living past 45. And what's the disconnect? What's the, what's the cause for that? And we don't know what it is, but it does raise the question of, once again, what are we doing to them in captivity? What, are we, what dramatic impact and traumatic impact are we having on them in these small, sterile, captive environments that is causing this, um, this complete compromise of their, of their bodies? So this leads us to a really critical point, and you had made this real clear at your presentation. What are people learning from elephants in captivity? I've told many people uh, over the years that the last zoo I worked in, 
uh, people asked the question were, when the elephant was in the exhibit, can we ride her and does she do tricks? And to me, it was one of those eye-opening experience of what are we really teaching people? What value do elephants have if these are the first two questions people have? And then, you know, further, we took that same elephant and she was in a picnic area and she was allowed to graze in a little grassy picnic area, you know, close, relatively close to the public. The public was kept on the sidewalk and the elephant was grazing on, on the grass. And the number one comment was, I didn't know elephants ate grass. And again, it was another slap in the face of, what are we doing? What is the value of an elephant in captivity? And it, we have come to realize very clearly that the value is to entertain us. The value is to give is to do something for us, and it really is quite tragic that this is, has evolved. Because when you t in the, when you take elephants out of that scenario, and we were often criticized for not being open to the public uh, within the sanctuary, but we started ex educating people why we're not open to public. And the people want to know the truth. The public want to understand more. And when you explain that you can't give to the elephants without, you can't, uh, you can't allow the public access to the elephants without compromising the elephants in some way by limiting their space or by sub subjecting them to a lot of uh, outside noise, uh, noise pollution, screaming children and whatnot. You can't have the, that both those in, in parallel. Uh, you end up when you compromise the elephant, the people want to know. And when they realize that's what's happening, they seem to appreciate it. And further, with the camera system that we were able to develop in the elephant sanctuary in Tennessee, we were able to educate people what the true behavior of elephants are. They can go on the cameras and know it's not live. It's very different than seeing elephants live. But you see natural behavior. And once again, people demonstrated very clearly with over a million participants each year and most of them replying and commenting saying, this has been incredible. I didn't know elephants did this stuff. And it's the same elephants that were just in a zoo, and all we did was put them in a natural habitat environment, and their behavior completely transformed. And that's ultimately what the public wants to know. They want to see who these elephants really are, and you can't do that in a zoo. That's amazing. That's incredible. And I think it was Ed Stewart at Paws that made a wonderful comment that children have this picture of elephants standing on their head dressed up in costumes at the circus or in the zoo playing with a ball and standing there pacing and doing captive repetitive behaviors versus um, educating our children to, which is what you're doing, to see the elephant as who it is in its natural environment, not this forced, false, uh, made-up environment that we keep them in. So you'd, we also just touch briefly on ele Asian elephants and the uh, work conditions they are put into. So there's been previous shows on Our Wild World to help our listeners understand why people should not ride elephants. They were not built to carry people on their backs and um, how devastating this is to their natural life. So um, another little question on this before we move on. We've got a few minutes left. Uh, until we take a break. Do you think that people who visit zoos can actually individuate the elephants versus known those known by people like you by personal characteristics and markings through the long-term studies? 
Not sure if I totally understood that. Uh, Do you think people, rec- you know, they, they see, I see this in Africa. They see a lion. It's a lion. Gotcha. They see another lion. It's a lion. Have they really recognized that the zoo they see at, let's say, Toronto Zoo and the zoo they see at Chicago Zoo or whatever zoo um, are actually individuals? Do you think they recognize that? Um, Long-standing patrons to zoos, absolutely. I think that be, people that are going to the zoos do see them as individuals, um, and they are able to recognize them because they've been there for a long time. But generally speaking, no. Uh, people often ask us, how do you tell them apart? They all look like an elephant. People can't even differentiate between an African and an Asian elephant. And they are, to me, is looking, looking as different as two people or two dogs. I mean, they are grossly different in their personalities and their characteristics and their physical conformation. Uh, grossly different individuals. Uh, but again, you know, the general public sees them as just a lump sum. They're just an elephant. Um, and when you start recognizing them as individuals and learning about their personality traits, and that's something we can do within the sanctuary environment also, is share their stories and more definitively educate the public about the nuances and the differences. And even the struggles that different individuals go through, I think people start developing a deeper appreciation for who they truly are. Again, not just as an elephant, but as an, as an individual and as a being and as a, a, a life that has incredible value. That was a wonderful answer. Thank you so much, because this is a really critical point that I would really like our, our listeners to understand, that what you see in the zoo, a captive animal, is not at all a representation of its wild cousin. The term captive wildlife is an oxymoron to me because they have no similarities whatsoever than the way they look. Their behavior is completely different. So um, right now we're going to head off to a break, but I do want our listeners to be able to learn more about your work. Uh, you, Your website is... www.globalelephants.org and that is the Global Sanctuary for Elephants in Brazil and are you on Facebook? Yes we are it's facebook.com slash Global Sanctuary for Elephants and we also are on Twitter and Instagram and all of those links can uh, you can reach all of of those links through our website which is again globalelephants.org and I have visited your website, and it's an amazing site. There's a ton of information there. And when we come back from the break, we're going to get into a little bit more about the background of Global Sanctuary for Elephants and why it's been created. So stick with us. My guest today is Scott Blaze, and we'll be right back. Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. 
We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. It's time to take a new look at some of life's changing moments. It's time to listen to an expert who has been there and can provide insight through experience, studies, and enlightening guests. Tune in to Illuminating Now, Lindsay's Life Secrets. Host Lindsay Levinson takes a look at relationships, parenting, health and wellness, divorce, depression, sexuality, philanthropy, and mental health. You'll look at everything you know in a different way. Illuminating Now, Lindsay's Life Secrets, airs Wednesdays at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Variety. You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. And welcome back. This is Ellie Weiss with my guest, Scott Blaze, and we're talking about his organization, Global Sanctuary for Elephants. So right before the break, we learned a lot about elephants as individuals, the crisis they're facing in captivity, that we are not seeing the true representation of an elephant when we see it in captivity, and the difference between captivity and sanctuary. So let's back up a little bit, Scott. You were co-founder of the Elephant Sanctuary in Tennessee. It was one of the first of its kind. Can you tell us a little bit about it and what you learned? Sure. Um, This is a a, a multi-series novel in its own, but I'll try to summarize it as best we can. Uh, The Elephant Sanctuary in Tennessee, when we started it in 1995, we wanted to give elephants more space. We didn't know what to expect. We didn't know how elephants would respond. Uh, Many people told us they would become rogue and wild and crazy, and we thought maybe they're right. some people said they're going to just tear down all the trees, and we thought maybe they're right. But we have to try something different. We know the normal isn't working. We know captivity, uh, elephants in captivity are struggling. Uh, they are exhibiting grossly aggressive behavior, uh, incredible stereotypical behavior, uh, neuroses, um, antisocial behavior. Just everything is, is completely has gone askew for these elephants in, in a traditional captive environment. We wanted to try to give back to them and somehow in some way. We started with 112 acres and thought this was huge. This is it. This is phenomenal. And we quickly realized that this is just a drop in the hat for an elephant. Um, Even though it's 100 times bigger than most zoos, 
uh, it was still once elephants started recovering and thrive and, and becoming back going back to their migratory nature that 112 acres is is minuscule uh, for an elephant. So we eventually grew to 2,700 acres, and it was our experience at the elephant sanctuary in Tennessee bringing elephants from uh, that were labeled as autistic or antisocial or highly aggressive um, to our other elephants or highly aggressive to people, um, elephants that had been exposed and tested positive for tuberculosis, some of the worst of the worst scenarios. And we're bringing them into this environment and asking them to be elephants again. And it's a struggle for a while as they, tr as they learn, as they go through many stages of recovery. And it's not always roses and butterflies. But it's an amazing process to watch as they recover, as they transform into completely different beings. And we would have zookeepers that would come in, you know, six months or a year later, and they would look at their elephant and say, I don't even recognize her. I never heard those noises come from her before. I've never seen that smile on her face before. And this is only after six months at the sanctuary. After three, four, three years, four years, six years, eight years, it's just unbelievable the transformation that happens with these elephants. And, uh, and that is what has caused us to be so outspoken for change, for positive progressive change, because all elephants deserve this opportunity. Uh, and small captive environments can provide it. We thought we could provide it on 112 acres, and we couldn't. We needed 2,700 acres, and uh, we want to keep giving back and 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 promoting again a, a more a, a better future for elephants, but also a better education for the public. So we've mentioned a few times um, the transformation of an elephant from its captive life to its sanctuary life. Tell us. Tell us what some of this transformation is. I know you've said they're happy. I know you've described some of the uh, stereotypical behaviors they have in captivity. But what is the process the elephant goes through once it it, it reaches its freedom? It's it's removed from its it, it's allowed to get out of its transport cage. And what is this discovery process that it, you you've seen it transform to as it realizes, wow, I have space. You know, it's really different. You know, Ellie, with with each with each new elephant, it's it's different. Uh, just like two individual humans uh, in the same, growing up in the same household. You know, they're going to respond different ways to life, uh, and different ways to, to new new stimuli. And elephants are the same way. They're going to respond very differently to the stimuli that they're offered. Uh, some just blossom right away. You know, we had an elephant named Bunny from the Evansville Zoo in in uh, Indiana, and she was in the Mesker Park Zoo in Evansville, Indiana. And she was alone for 40 of her 47 years in captivity. Uh, we were told she's going to die in transit. She's going to not, not socialize. She was remarkable. Uh, not only once she was closed, when she was closed in the transport container, a lot of times they will start being anxious. Uh, but it's a little bit of risk, uh, since I risk a little bit of stress in order to have this phenomenal reward at the end. But when we opened up the doors after a few minutes of being closed in the trailer, Bunny is covered in head to toe in hay. She has a mouthful of food. She is so passive and calm, uh, completely at peace with all of it. When she came to the elephant sanctuary, she was, um, you know, she interacted with one elephant. She was hesitant at first. Uh, she would she reached her trunk backward as the other elephant reached her trunk forward, and they kind of touched nose to nose, and that's all it took for Bunny. Right at that simple nose to nose touching, transformed everything with them, and she completely just immersed into the herd. Uh, the next day, she's out in the field, completely interacting with everybody, 
she actually tr trumpeted so much in the first three days uh, through pure joy and excitement uh, that she gave herself a bloody nose from rupturing uh, capillaries in her nose. And just this overjoyed elephant, and that happened immediately. And there's others that take a while. Um, there's some that uh, do struggle for a while. A, a, a pivotal story was with Sissy, who, again, had been labeled as autistic, as aggressive, as uh, antisocial. I mean, just... just pegged as an elephant that is going to have problems for the rest of her life. And she did struggle for a while. She took four years before she left the barn. She wasn't comfortable walking into any of the trees, into the forest. She would have to duck. Um, she would have to duck and she'd squint her eyes as she was going into the trees. And, um, and then as she started growing and evolving, as she started growing and evolving, she uh, actually became a mentor for the next elephant that came. Oh, that's amazing. That's an amazing story. And it just highlights again that what we're seeing in captivity is not an elephant. We're seeing a replica. Uh, zoos like to call them ambassadors. But to me, an ambassador is someone who tells us who their people are or who their like-minded like beings are. So the, the ambassador for an elephant is a free-ranging elephant or at least one who can be herself or himself. So I have a, a question. Did you ever encounter two elephants that had been kept separate for this tremendous amount of time, decades of their life, that had known each other at previous to captivity and got to meet up again in a sanctuary situation? Yes, we did. And I actually need to take a step back because I think I, I misstepped on, uh, on Sissy's story. I said it took four years to leave the barn. It took her four weeks to, before she felt comfortable leaving the barn. Not four years, just, okay. just, just four weeks. Um, but yes, um, we did. That's like staying inside after a traumatic experience and saying, I don't know how to go out there. I don't know how to deal with it. Absolutely. And it was just, it was, with Sissy, it was all insecurity. And the mentor that she became after, you know, once she, again, after she started feeling like an elephant again and finding herself, the mentor that she became was just, just, we could talk for hours on just her story alone. She's just a remarkable elephant and, and all that she came through to become a, a leader within that herd. So back to your question about two elephants that uh, knew each other before, we did have a situation with, uh, it's a story that has gone around the world as it was filmed by National Geographic, completely unexpected by any of us. Uh, was surely was coming from a solitary environment, and she came into uh, the sanctuary. And as it turned out, she and Jenny, a resident that was uh, that had already been at the sanctuary for a couple of years, recognized each other. And it was unbelievable. It was beyond words, uh, beyond describable. And it was just a a, a depth of emotion that actually caused uh, my co-founder and I to leave the barn because it was overwhelming. We were standing outside the barn walking, looking through the door as this incredible vocalization and, and vibration and energy was, was encompassing all of the barn uh, as they finally, when they did recognize each other one, once again. And this was, again, totally unexpected. Later on, after this episode and we said the only thing that this could be is that they know each other for some reason this is not a normal introduction and we did a little bit of back research and found out that there was a nine-month window that these two elephants could have been together and uh after you know 20 something years later after being together for only nine months or potential for nine months we saw this interaction and from that point on for the next uh several years i think uh, six or seven years before jenny passed away uh they were side by side they were at each other's hip all day every day day and night 
brains, nose, feet, shine, didn't matter. They were completely joined at the hip and just a truly remarkable reunion and friendship that emerged from that. That's that's an amazing story. Where can pe- you said it was filmed by National Geographic? Is it available on the web for people to see this amazing reunion? I am not sure that it's available on the web or not. But uh, you could probably Google search Jenny and Shirley. Yes, if you if if you Google search or YouTube search Shirley and Jenny, I know there are many clips of that reunion and uh, uh, on on the on YouTube. I think I've seen a couple of them, and it is astonishing, and it's wonderful to be, a- be able to be here talking to you, uh, the person who was the human who was actually there uh, to witness this, and the compassion you showed to leave and uh, respect this moment of privacy and reunion between these two elephants. So that's an amazing um, education right there of what we can learn about elephants that we cannot learn in captivity, that we can only learn when we let them have their space and let them reunite. So, and they uh, transform you. They completely change who you are. They humble you. They they just are remarkable in every sense of the word. And sanctuary, again, every individual that came there, we would have interns that would spend 12 weeks with us and having never touched an elephant, not even going anywhere close to them because they were just there to aid in the, the operation of the, of the organization, uh, not to interact with the elephants, again, out of pr- protecting the elephant space. And we would have parents that would write us letters and say, what did you do to my daughter? I don't know what it was, but thank you, you know, because elephants just transform who we are. They give you a completely different perspective on life. Uh, they teach us a lot about who we are and what we need to, what we need to evolve to, to be better people and better advocates. That's wonderful. So we've got a few minutes left. I would like to just talk briefly about your team at Global Sanctuary for Elephants. You have a team of people that is not only expert in terms of their experience, long-lived experience with elephants, but this team of people coming together. Uh, you have Joyce Poole on your board, your wife, Kat, and um, let's see, who else? Uh, Jill um, Moore and mm-hmm. Junia Machado, Luciano mm-hmm. Tassare Bop, if I'm pronouncing those correctly. But um, you have an incredible team Joyce Poole being one, Elephant Voices, which is wild study of elephants and communication and uh, groundbreaking studies with uh, her book and uh, colleague Katie Payne in Elephant Communications. So all of these things that we're learning is astonishing to build our foundation of knowledge about elephants and why they should not be in captivity. So um, tell us a little bit about this, this of working with this team of people. Well, we are uh, beyond blessed to have this group of people come together. Uh, Global Sanctuary for Elephants is a relatively new nonprofit organization. It's only been established for a year. Uh, we are a 501c3 nonprofit. And it actually evolved out of trying to create a solution for uh, elephants in Brazil. Um, and we were approached by Juni Machado, who is a Brazilian uh, advocate and also uh, who had been working with Petter and Joyce from Elephant Voices. Uh, Joyce Poole and Peter Granley, and we were asked to get involved to help uh, create a solution. And that has evolved into uh, the creation of Global Sanctuary for Elephants because not only do elephants in South America need a solution, but we need a solution for elephants internationally. Um, again, with the, with the changes of the social changes that are taking place. 
we need to create sanctuaries. It's the only viable option for elephants in captivity to give them a sense of a life again. And um, and so we're grateful. That, I mean, and the list that you just just created, this just mentioned, is actually a small list compared to what's happening now. Uh, this is just is growing each and every day. Uh, we have psychologists and behavioralists that are joining us. Uh, we have a really unique opportunity to take everything that we have learned from the Elephant Sanctuary in Tennessee, uh, everything that we've learned through our, our, our partners our, our and colleagues at uh, Performing and Welfare Society, and then also everything from the Elephants in the Wild with Joyce Poole and Katie Payne, Cynthia Moss and those. And we are creating this, this perfect storm for a bright future. It's the perfect storm for... A perfect world where elephants are still kept in captivity. The perfect world would be that no elephants are ever again kept in captivity and circuses with performing animals of any kind are banned. So it's very important. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's very important that our audience today sign petitions, become involved, get knowledgeable about what is going on, the, the poor quality of life, which is a major understatement considering what you've just heard Scott talk about uh, the poor quality of life of wild so-called I said put that in quote marks uh, animals kept in captivity uh, this is something as Scott said earlier that is strictly for our entertainment and uh, we have as a species come to a point with knowledge as Scott has told us why we should not be entertaining ourselves at the cost of other lives so um, you, you, on your website, which again, www.globalelephants.org, uh, please look this up. It's got a tremendous amount of uh, information, and it talks about the training and supervision of employees. Uh, what do people have to go through? I, I, I assume you um, provide opportunities for volunteers and visitors to be come involved, correct me if I'm wrong, but yes, what is we, it we people will. have to go through to learn to be with elephants in sanctuary? Oh, goodness. Um, you know, this is, this is something we speak, uh, speak about quite a bit, and actually this has been reinforced recently with speaking with behaviorists that deal with traumatized humans, is that a fundamental part of developing a sanctuary and a fundamental, fundamental component of recovery is the nurturing aspect of people. And with elephants, one big thing that we look at is people that know themselves. Uh, because a lot of times humans want to interject ourselves on the animals. And in order for them to recover, we have to remove and take a step back from that. Uh, so we have to, uh, again, know ourselves, know what know what we're, who we are and, and what we bring to the picture in order for that, them to have the space to recover. And that's a fabulous answer, and we're going to pick up with that. Right now we need to cut to a break, which is so um, hard for me to do because you're such an amazing man to listen to, and I'm learning so much. So once again, check out their website, follow them on Twitter, Facebook, and learn more. This is Ellie and Scott Blaze, and we'll be right back. Ready to chat about your favorite soap operas? The daytime discussion is here with Dan J. Kroll and Soap Central Live. For the past 15 years, Dan has been dishing and discussing on SoapCentral.com. And now he's taking the talk to the airwaves of the Voice America Variety Channel. He'll go behind the scenes with the biggest stars of daytime, along with guest commentary from the Soap Central columnists. 
and we'll take your questions and comments during our live show. Soap Central Live, every Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big. Scary. Beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. In the spirit of Have Couch, Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. The world we live in has become a crazy place. Poverty is at an all-time high in the wealthiest nation on earth. We keep calling on government to save us with new programs. And now we have more people using food stamps than any time in our history. This problem continues to get worse. The answer to poverty is in our homes, churches, and communities, and through our children. Get the answers from The Mickey Ellison Show, Wednesdays at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern, on Voice America Variety. You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. And welcome back with my guest today, Scott Blaze of Global Sanctuary for Global Ele- Global Sanctuary for Elephants dot org. This is a new organization that's just come up, and Scott's going to tell us about some of the challenges they're facing. But don't misunderstand that with a new beginning. That this has not been built upon many many years of success and experience. It started with uh, the 
Tennessee Sanctuary for Elephants, then went into the Sanctuary for Elephants Brazil, and is now, as a result of everything Scott and his team has learned with their elephants, is becoming a more global organization, the first of its kind in South America. Two points that you had brought up, Scott, that are very important in Sanctuary versus Zoo, is that it gives elephants space and it gives them choice. Can you tell us just a little bit more about that? Because those are two things that are missing in the zoo. Yeah, these are two key elements, you know, space and choice. And when people often say, you know, give us incredible accolades for everything we've done at Sanctuary, and all we've really done is giving in space, choice, and nurturing. You know, we, we've given that space for them to recover. We didn't know what that meant initially. And space is, is, is profound. Again, it just, it, it opens up all sorts of corridors for them. And that is, offers them the opportunity right, and gives them the, the autonomy to make their own choices. Uh, without space, they can't choose where to go. You know, with space, they can choose where to go, who to be with, who to hang out with, uh, where to spend time alone. Uh, sometimes part of recovery, as we all know as humans, sometimes we need just a little bit of solitude. Even as highly social beings, we need to just step away for a little while. And to give elephants that opportunity, that allows them to experience more about who they are. And with all with space and choice, you also allow them an opportunity to choose their own path to attain a desired response or a desired result. Uh, they know that if they want to have a happy social experience, they can join others at the watering hole. If they want to have, again, solitude or meditative space, they can go off on their own. Um, sometimes elephants, when given the choice, they make choices that you don't expect. We had one elephant that actually needed less space for a time uh, during her recovery. When she was in too much space, she was overwhelmed by it. She didn't know what to do. She would start tearing things apart and causing damage. And uh, we, sorry, I have a helicopter flying over. Uh, we had. Um, when you give them more space and choice, uh, they, they surprise you. And with this particular elephant, over time, she did thrive in open spaces. But for a while, she needed to find comfort within herself, find a way to control her own emotions. And that's something that's really quite remarkable that we see is, is controlling, again, controlling their environment, controlling uh, what they're exposed to. Um, one particular elephant that was leading another, uh, when she knew... When, when she knew her friend was in a, in a difficult space, they would circumvent the herd. They would go really far away from the other elephants. And when she knew her companion was in a really good space, they would go close to the, closer to the herd and they would have very positive interactions. Uh, in order to prevent a negative interaction, in order to prevent a negative outcome, they will choose a wider path sometimes. And these all lead to, again, giving them their life, letting them experience who they are, what they need, uh, and to be able to dictate and control uh, what they want out of life. I guess we could say the analogy to people so that we could understand this more because elephants, as we are learning, are, as Daphne, Dame Daphne Sheldrick says, they, says, they are just like us, but they are better than us. The one thing we can learn is that uh, an abused child or a socially maladapted child when given the opportunities to become social and understand how to uh, act socially it takes time to learn so a hermit suddenly being uh, thrown out into a crowd it's freaky so an elephant can go through the same things but the critical point as Scott has uh, helped educate us is that we need as humans to give elephants as 
intellectual, emotional, complex beings this space and choice to be who they are. Um, even if they've lived a life in captivity and sol uh, solitary confinement, so to speak, they have the choice to decide when and where they would like to be. And as Scott said, they have control over their lives within the limitation of the sanctuary setting. So I'm going to go off a little bit on a tangent here. Um, there's a lot of movement now to ban circuses with performing el uh, animals, uh, for everything from mammals, SeaWorld, to the circuses that we've seen, and a, a movement to circuses that have no animals, such as Cirque du Soleil, that is all performing people, and getting away from animals in entertainment. That's what all this conference at Pause was about, and it really was an eye-opening experience for me. So one of the critical things that is uh, working in legislation to not only ban zoos, which takes advocacy, it takes you, my listeners, to speak up and say, this is wrong, this is intolerable, and we will not take it anymore, is the bullhook. So tell us a little bit about the bullhook, why it needs to leave the planet and uh, never be used again and never uh, have an elephant experience it again and why and how people can get involved and advocate to remove the bullhook. You know, the, the, it's a great question and great topic and it's that it goes back to the bigger picture of human d dominion over animals and human dominance over animals. And the reason why all these elephants or all these an captive animals are in this situation is we are dominating them. We are changing their life to provide entertainment to ourselves. And we're starting to realize and the public starting to realize that this not, it's not our right. We don't have this. This is not our place to have this dominance over other species. And unfortunately, elephants are in this situation because they have been brutally dominated. Uh, and that dominant, the t primary tool used to dominate elephants has been the bullhook. It's a kind of a barbaric tool that looks like a fire, fire poker, uh, fire, uh, fireplace prod with a hook on one end and a poker on the other. And it's also used as a baton uh, to, to beat the elephants. And elephants are beaten severely. Uh, people often ask, how can you harm an elephant? And it's actually not that hard, sadly. And elephants are chained up. They were uh, forced to resign to the, the hand of human. Um, and they are beaten and brutalized and poked and hooked. Um, and they, they are just completely broken down uh, physically, spiritually, emotionally uh, by the hand of humans and unfortunately with the, the, the primary tool is the bullhook. If you can ban the bullhook from being used by circuses, we're essentially banning circuses because you're banning the tool that is used to provide the dominance. Uh, it is a means to an end. Ultimately, we just need to ban circuses. Also, isn't the bullhook, when you say dominance, it is based on fear, creating a fearful, terrorizing relationship between the human and the elephant. There was a great map, someone, uh, I think it was a um, sort of a um, sensitivity map of the areas of the body, like acupuncture, the sensitive points on an elephant, uh, that the bullhook is used to to cause the most amount of pain with the least amount of action by the human. So um, I sort of forgot where I started heading with that, but it's, 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 it's a based on a fearful relationship, which once again tells us what zoos are doing to their animals and what sanctuaries are not. 
Yeah, well, this is what, what dominant space training is doing to animals. Not A lot of zoos are moving away from this, but this is about banning the bullhook too, which is ultimately banning the use of animals in circuses. You know, but that same kind of thread of human dominance goes through, again, into zoos. It's the dominion of animals. It's, it's, we have to change the mindset. We have to change what, how we perceive elephants. And the bans on bullhooks are just one step in that process. It's one step to, to creating a better future. Um, and it's, it's, this is actually, we're, we're struggling in the United States just to ban bullhooks, but internationally, there are more than 18 countries that have banned performing elephants, just flat out banned them because we're realizing that this is not our right and animals do not deserve to live this way. It seems like just about every other nation across the globe is more advanced in terms of their relationship to captive animals than we here in the U.S. So it does take voices, all of our voices combined, to speak up. Advocacy does work. And through all the guests that I've had on this program and through Scott today, you can learn how to advocate and organize your community or just your small group of friends to stop something that we know is wrong. So um, this brings me to a really piece of exciting news that I learned from Scott. They have um, just come under contract with uh, Global Sanctuary for Elephants in Brazil uh, for some land. Tell us a little bit about this and what you need from our listeners and people around the world to help make this happen. Well, yes, we are really excited. Uh, Just brief brief synopsis. Global Sanctuary for Elephants is a parent company, if you will, and we are uh, we are going to help develop and support international uh, the development and operation of sanctuaries internationally. Our first project is Elephant Sanctuary Brazil, and Elephant Sanctuary Brazil just came into contract uh, with. We've been there for about four months looking for land, and we have just signed an agreement for four thousand seven hundred acres. It's not a done deal yet, but we're getting close. Uh, there's a lot of regulation issues uh, regarding land in in Brazil, and we have to work through a few more pieces of that puzzle still. Uh, but we're really excited about this opportunity because if this works out, there's a good possibility we could open our doors to elephants in the next six months. We and have that a, means elephants from all over South America or ex- all over the world. So maybe uh, these elephants that have been moving can move one last time? Exactly. You know, if we can, you know, this means it's focus was elephant sanctuary Brazil was focused in, on South America. But there's a possibility that we could bring elephants from, uh, from other states as well, other countries as well. Uh, and from overseas, that's still something that we have to explore uh, explore a little bit further. But this is their final move. This is the final time they're going to be put in isolation. This, you know, or the final time that they will be in isolation is at the zoo that they're currently at or circus. And once they come to the sanctuary, this is it. this is their home forever. This is a home where they get to find that autonomy and find the freedom and find social companionship and really be able to live their life for the first time. And it sounds so simple, but it, you know, it's, it's profound what that does for them. Uh, and this is, it's their final move. It's their final, final step in the, in the, in their journey. Um, and it's also the first steps in their journey because this, this begins their, their rediscovery of self. So this is really important, my friends who are listening to this show today. We all know what it takes for us humans to feel this sense of wholeness and feel a sense of unity unity, and feel a sense of social belonging. We've learned so much through the experience of this this combined team that Scott works with. 
I'm going to say hundreds of years of experience combined to create a forever home for elephants. We talk about it for dogs and cats, but we need to expand our mindset to include these larger beings, these representatives that are held in zoos that should not be there. Get rid of circuses, ban bullhooks, ban the tools, and then the, if we no longer have the tools to dominate these animals, then we find a place and a way to give them space. That will create a problem. It can't all happen at once because then what will happen with the animals that are currently in poor quality situations? But we need to take it a step at a time. So advocate, people. Scott, tell us how much you need uh, to get this land happening So and where our listeners and people can donate. Well, absolutely. You know, the, never doubt what you can do is my message to the public. Never doubt the impact that you can have. And that is through donations, uh, through spreading the word. Uh, every dollar does help. Uh, we are at the beginning of this, this campaign, uh, and it's going to take a lot of work. It's going to take a lot of money. Uh, but it is also very feasible, it's, it's, and we can provide, again, an immeasurable impact to, to an elephant's life. Uh, you can donate through our website, globalelephants.org. Uh, you can also text to give. You can text elephants to 50155. Uh, you can donate that way. You can donate through Facebook, uh, through PayPal. There's a lot of ways to give, and, and you can find all of those through our website. And our first goal right now is about four hundred to $500,000, and that allows us to accept four to five elephants. That covers the down payment on the land. It covers the initial phase of fencing. And our program is just going to keep on growing. The whole project is... Is a little bit overwhelming when you think about the big number. It's about ten million dollars for all of it, but that is four to fund four to five hundred times the space for one eighth of the cost that many zoos are developing right now. So we can provide a life that is is immeasurably better for a fraction of the cost of what zoos are putting into their zoo exhibits. That's a very good point. So when you visit your local zoo and you see a new curated exhibit, uh, what I like to call eye candy, um, the amount of money that goes into keeping these animals captive and to keep breeding them in captivity for a forever life under our domination and control versus what Scott just said, one-tenth the cost to provide a forever home for the largest land mammal we've ever known that has existed for eons before us. Our question today is, will they survive us? And yes, they can, as long as we take action. So advocate, donate, start your own campaign, do a bake sale. I don't care what you do. Raise some money and donate to Global Sanctuary for Elephants because this is the way we're moving forward. This is the way we people can apologize to elephants. I'm always amazed that they forgive us. It's a common thing that they don't take more actions against us. Against us. So once again, it says they are better than we are. So let's live up to our potential and be as best as we can. So unfortunately, we are out of time today. Once again, donate. Look up uh, globalelephants.org. Follow them on Facebook. You can donate through Facebook. Follow them on Twitter and uh, look them up and do your own search and find out why you and how you can help. Thank you, Scott. It's been a fabulous conversation. 
Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity to share. And I hope to uh, have you back sometime when the sanctuary is uh, uh, up and running and give us an update on the elephants. And uh, once again, go to the website. There's a lot of good images and a lot of good information. We're out of time today. Thank you. This is Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. Thank you again for joining us this week. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of Our Wild World with your host, Ellie Weiss, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think about living with wildlife during the coming week and what you can do right now. 